This week on the pod, we discuss what might happen now the first coaching domino has fallen, uncover which players are your team's barometer, debate how a wildcard weekend could work in the AFL, and play an interesting little game of Who Am I? You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast for another week, another big week of football action. Uh, I'm going to wake, welcome Jake Michaels into the fray. How are you going, Jake? I'm going well. How are you? I am not too bad. A fair bit of news floating around this week. We've got a lot to cover in this podcast. We do. We should get straight into it, I think. <laughs> we should. We just about should. Uh, we won't even bother introducing the other two <laughs> panellists, almost. Uh, Christian Jolly from Champion Data, we will introduce you. How are you going? I'm good, thank you. And Neil Seawang, how are you? How was your commute down from Ballarat this morning? It wasn't the warmest, but uh, no, it was a great weekend of footy. And I think the ladder's just starting to uh, really shape itself in terms of the contenders and the ortho round. So we've got Geelong, Collingwood, Giants, Richmond and, and West Coast in the top five. And I think that they're just starting to put a bit of a gap between them and the rest. Bit of a logjam forming there because obviously the double chance is worth so much in this game. And clearly one of these teams is going to have to miss yeah. out. And there'll be, I think, at least one or two, perhaps, very good teams that are going to be playing elimination finals this year. Absolutely. Hey, we talked about it uh, off the start, but we do have a little interesting game of Who Am I? we'd like to play this week. Uh, Christian, would you like to introduce a few questions and we can let the listeners mull over it as we as we debate other ideas and uh, see what they come up with for this game of Who Am I? Yeah, so it's either a Who Am I or Who Are We because it's a team-based one, but this team's conceding the most disposals, uncontested possessions, marks, kicks and handballs of any team. They're 17th for disposal differential, 17th for uncontested possession differential, and they concede the third most time in possession of any team. Only two teams below them are Carlton and Melbourne. So it's not Carlton? It's not Carlton or Melbourne. It's going to Melbourne. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I think I, I know who it is. Who have you got? Yeah. I reckon it might be the cat. That's interesting. I'm, oh, I've actually, got a bit of an idea that it's Port Adelaide. I'm not going to try. It's going to be a good team. You wouldn't, you wouldn't do this if it was a bottom four team. That's true. <laughs> or he could double bluff us and do <laughs> it that way for sure. It is Carlton after all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, interesting. Well, we'll, we'll certainly... We'll, I think Christian's going to unveil the answer in his uh, What About Stats section. So, yeah, we can all mull that over and our listeners can do the same. Yeah, let's get into our first segment. It's time for three on three. Yes, this is the segment where we spend three minutes, give or take, uh, on three of the hot topics of the week. Our first topic, I mean, it's pretty hard to talk about anything else, really, but the first coaching domino has fallen. Brad Scott and North Melbourne have parted ways uh, mutually. Um, But what does this mean for the broader coaching landscape, Neil? I mean, do we think it's the first of many dominoes to fall this season? It could be, and it could even be another one after this week. There's so much pressure on on Bolton and Walsfold um, for the Carlton Eston game. Um, that that's still to play out. I'm not sure whether it will fast track um, other developments. I'd like to think that Bolton, especially, deserves a little bit more time, um, even despite the fact that uh, that Carlton are struggling so much. But it certainly, I think, will get the ball rolling in some respects, and it gives North a head start in terms of trying to uh, target the next coach that, that they want. So. Why should it sort of speed things up? It, well, I think it speeds things up for, for North Melbourne, especially they can get on the front foot if they didn't think North, uh, they didn't think that um, that Scott was their their man going forward. So at least they can start getting their feelers out, and they give gives Reece Shaw a what a eleven or twelve round audition, if you like. Yeah, and I think that's great. But in terms of you know clubs like Carlton and um, Essendon and St Kilda, I don't see why everyone's sort of making out that this should now mean that those clubs have got to make a move on their coach. I don't think they should rush into making any any decision that they might soon regret. Yeah, I agree with Jake. I mean, no one no one can go and hire Brad Scott now. 
So it's mm. not going to benefit any other club to sort of move on their coach early in the season. Uh, I think it will start at some sort of coaching domino in the off season, but I don't think we'll see anything during. One thing, rounds. one thing is certain is that your prediction uh, has gone right out the window. Your there, preseason mate. prediction. Uh, oh, look, I'd like to check the tapes, but I did say that a coach wouldn't get fired. <laughs> a this mutu- was a, a mutual <laughs> parting of ways. If we he want was, to get technical, he was fired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well that's yeah. I mean, look. I think with in terms of Brad Scott now testing the market, I don't think he's a big enough coaching name that's going to prompt other clubs to be like, great, we've got to sell the farm now and offload another coach. So I think you're right, Christian, that it won't force other teams' hands this week. But Neil, I also think you've got a really good point about Carlton and Essendon this weekend because um, I don't know if John Worsfold and the Bombers lose to the Blues this week despite their injuries. That's um, that's almost a, it's a really hard position to sort of come back from firstly and then secondly come to the members and say hey this is what we're putting up after we've gone to the trades and the free agency table over the last two seasons brought in four of the biggest names in the league and still really can't quite put it together yeah i i'd still be surprised if they make any movements after this weekend even if it's a shock loss um, for Essendon or a big horrible loss for the the blues um but i wouldn't be surprised if if it gets the ball rolling especially on the Essendon side of things i think i think in terms of expectations, they've un- underperformed so badly for the last couple of years. So, a really bad upset loss for Essendon might might get the ball rolling, and they might start thinking, "Okay, well, there is a a bit of a shuffling of the deck chairs with coaching. Let's see what we can do." I, I'm going to be honest here. I think there's more on the line for for the Blues uh, this weekend. Let's be honest. Look at the. We don't know the team that Essendon's going to name just yet, but it's going to be probably their weakest side they've named mm. since the the drug saga. I mean, this is going to be a really, really undermanned side. We talk about injuries and, you know, whether we want to use it as an excuse or not. If Carlton don't win, or maybe not not maybe not win, but if they have another shocker, 40, 50, 60 point loss, that could be goodbye for Brendan Bolton because that'll be three in five five rounds. Yep. And not only that, I mean, yeah, you, you just got to look at the team they're playing. It's all it's one thing to, to get smashed by the Giants up um, in Sydney when they had a really good team and they played really well. Not ideal. But if you're losing to the Bombers and yep. getting smashed by the Bombers, that's that's completely different. And I'm not sure how relevant this is, but the buy round's coming up. I wonder if that actually favours or hinders coaches that are on the edge. Does, it, does that week off sort of give everyone a refresher and think, all right, let's go away, work on it and come back? Or does it give people two weeks to sort of mull over, ooh, geez, do we make a decision now? It's mm. just interesting that it's all happening at this stage of the season. Well, I mean, we said a couple of weeks ago that this the, the month before the buy for the Blues was the big test for Bolton because, um, you know, the club could go away and, and decide to rethink strategies. And I've heard from one source that that might actually happen and that's that what might happen that Bolton might not last or come out of the, the bye week that uh, Carlton are, are going to start looking at their options and, and this was before the Brad Scott stuff played out so I don't know how that uh, helps or hinders it um, um, the sources you know take it with a grain of salt as you will but um, yeah Carlton there's a bit more happening now than what we first, sort of first thought a couple of weeks ago and, and this month is obviously critical and make or break for his career it's such a win-loss industry isn't it so even with all the murmurings that uh, the whole the whole club and the whole board are behind Bolton if the, if the Blues keep losing they they're going to have to act at one point it's just a matter of when not if so um, if the Blues lose by 40 plus this week I don't think they will I th- actually think they're a big chance to win it but if they do lose by 40 plus this week he won't coach the following game one one um, there's so many tangents to this whole debate um, we, we've touched on a few but another one is what does it mean for the North Melbourne list if with a new coach or an interim coach 
and then whether Reese Shaw earns the job or they go somewhere else, does that mean that they're going to rebuild and maybe shed some stars or a North Melbourne club that maybe can't afford to do that and they'll keep topping up? I'm not sure. It's going to be interesting to see how they, they play that well, out. What players stars are, are they really shedding? I mean, they've kind of brought in some stars, if anything. Um, but they've almost been stuck between... They've never totally rebuilded with that elite batch of, of high-end picks and they've not been able to attract the best free agents and, and uh, trade targets as well. So I feel, I feel like they've been in a state of flux for six or eight years and they need to decide one course of action. So I feel like um, what their rebuild might look like might be similar to Carlton three or four years ago when Bolton first took over. So next year they won't just strip it right back and bring in six or seven young kids. They might still be seventh, eighth oldest next year but just slowly start to bring them in. And then in about two or three years' time, that's when you really go and hit the draft heavily. It, exactly from Jake's point of just bringing in Pollock Hall and having an off-season of that way of bringing in the experienced players, Tom Tyson, I can't see him stripping, stripping it right back within one year and reinventing the club. But yeah. if you're 27, 28 and you're on North's list uh, and you know that there's something like this is going to happen, why would you want to stick around? Like well, Now that the coach wouldn't. is gone, and clearly uh, blokes like Cunnington, especially Zeeble, were quite vocal of their support for, coach as a, uh, for Scott as a coach and a man, just in general. Um, are they going to be sort of mid-aged players who now go, well, hold on, now we're in for another sort of three to four years of pain. If we do strip it back, I'm going to want out and ask for, for a trade. I mean, this, these are kind of the, the butterfly effect flow-ons that you don't really think about at the time when a coach does get fired. Mm. But the effect's on the playing list, and it's the same for a Carlton or same for an Essendon. If they suddenly go, great, the coach has been fired, this is setting the club back two years, why would I want to stick around? And the, I think that's a big thing that people sort of miss sometimes. The big one for me is Ben Brown. So I think you've got... Your, your heart and soul um, players such as um, Cunnington and Zeeble, like you said, you've got Goldstein and Tarrant and Higgins that are probably 30-plus and maybe won't want to move. They, they, they might not be as attractive to other clubs. But Ben Ben Brown's 26. Does he want to go through four or five more years of, um, I guess, mediocre mediocrity? And I think he's a, he'd be a huge carrot if North Melbourne wanted to offload him. They'd be able to get a pretty high price for him. A few clubs would be... Uh, on knocking on the door for sure. Maybe like a Hawthorne or a, a Western Bulldogs especially would be looking for a, a tall timber to, to sort of take the pressure off. Yep. There's, there's every chance a new coach comes in just adds one more star and they keep the team as well, is. That's, that's it's, true. It's not unheard of. Or, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if that happened. This is, this is rolling the dice, isn't it? Mm. Hey, uh, we uh, should move on. Talk about the mid-season draft which happened on Monday night. Uh, I thought it was a pretty good success for the AFL. I thought the coverage of it was fine. It was a little half-hour spectacle. Dr- drummed up enough sort of uh, talk in the in the week leading up to it that the AFL would be happy with the headlines they got. I mean, there are some good feel-good stories like Marlon Pickett in, in the waffle. I mean, a couple of players, Cam Sutcliffe getting a second chance, all this sort of stuff. How do we rate how that how that went? It seems... I, I, I was a, I'm a fan of it. I'm a fan of it because it allows clubs and players more than just a, a three-week window in at the end of the season in November for the draft and trade period, and it gives clubs and players another chance to to either get on a, get on a club list or to um, bring in a, a player of need. I was a little bit surprised that a lot of clubs seem to have draft long-term prospects that might take two or three more years. They're not plug-and-play ready, most of them, which I think most people assumed when the mid-season draft was brought back that it would be your best state league players for every club might be able to top up with a ruckman or a, a winger or something like that. And they, a lot of clubs decided to go down there 18, 19 mm. year old options that just missed out at last year's draft. Instead yeah. of a draft for need basis. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest um, knock, if you like, on the whole um, on the whole mid season draft. I mean, it's great that these these players are getting the opportunity, but you know, how many of them are realistically going to be playing senior football this year? Um, not many, if any of them. And and this is the thing. It's like 
you know, look at Melbourne, for example. Um, took young Dunkley, who's a really, you know, a talent, but he's not the player they need. Yeah. You know, and, and, and Melbourne's not the only one. There's a lot of clubs that have just gone and taken the best available player out there, not, you know, not uh, plugging a, a hole they have in their side at the moment. Man. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's great that these players are getting an opportunity, but I don't necessarily think it's worked as the AFL might have thought it would. And I think it's hard to see them coming in to play a role this year with with clubs being so structured, so many team rules, so much time put into the preseason. You know, it's two or three months of um, structure and, you know, sometimes they don't even bring balls out into training for the first month. To expect a guy to come in at round 10 or 11 and be slotted straight into that top 22, you'd be putting a lot of your your other guys on your list offside, thinking, why have we done all this hard work and not getting a game, as well as being able to trust that guy to come in and do the Mm. right thing by your team. Yeah, for sure. I mean... Uh, structures and all that sort of stuff as well. By the time you're, you're learning not only the players' names um, and, and how you sort of fit into the mould and and obviously blokes like Dunkley would come in and be an inside midfielder in the VFL, but that's probably not the role they're going to play straight away in the AFL. So there's a lot of learning to do and, and before stuff like that happens, I guess. Um, the one thing I would like to see next year or, or whenever is perhaps instead of making it a mid-season draft period, expand it. And have a mid-season trade period as well. Uh, I think that. I that's, like it. Yeah, I think that's something that would add a lot more intrigue to the week. Uh, I, I know. Look, the build-up was was nice, and there was obviously interest from uh, the media and, and the footy public. But a mid-season trade period would just about uh, take the, the cake for me. That no, would be so exciting. Gets, sorry, nothing gets people talking more than trade period either. So newspapers, TV, everyone would absolutely love it. it. And another month or so of trade talk would keep everyone happy. Month, try two. <laughs> I and think that's round natural. one, round one or two. Yeah, someone's not getting right. a game. Hey, get them on the trade. The table. difference is people know the players that are getting traded, whereas you know these um, these guys playing in the lower leagues, a lot of a lot of them, you know, are unknowns. Yeah. You know, whereas if you're talking about you know, Josh Jenkins or Bryce Gibbs who are on the outer Adelaide. It's like they're known Resonance, players and it's yeah. like you know who they are and there's interest in actually getting them. Well, Scott Pendlebury's a big fan of uh, introducing a mid-season trade period. He, he tweeted out the other day that he'd like to see it happen. Um, you would sort of expect, uh, this is a question more so, but would you expect the weaker teams to benefit more considering that contenders would be willing to pay overs for the player that probably tips them over the edge? I think it would be like like the end of your trade period. I think some clubs would hope that, you know, in brackets, win trades and others might not. But I think if you're contending for a flag that year and you've got an opportunity to grab a, the missing piece for a puzzle at round 10 or 11 or 12, you, there might be more of an inclination to, to pay overs. Cause I think, and I think that's fair enough because if you're a chance to win a flag that's so hard come by, then I think you've got to go all out. Hypothetically, what's the trade that you'd make? I was thinking about this earlier, and uh, I think Jake touched on uh, Gibbs and Jenkins both playing Sandful at the moment. I What about if Bryce Gibbs moved across to Port Adelaide? <laughs> <laughs> He's got a young family. He probably wouldn't want to move interstate, uh, certainly at this uh, point in the season. And and Port Adelaide have got, got a little bit of a weaker midfield. Imagine if he crossed, crossed to Port Adelaide. And Port Adelaide maybe gave him a third round draft pick and then took a lot of salary cap off him. <laughs> Wouldn't that be interesting? Pick. What if Carlton came Port knocking? A, does Port have a weaker midfield when they're all there? When they're, when they're all, all there. there. I think. I if, reckon when they're all. If, if both sides are they're all fit and firing, I reckon Port's midfield's better. Yeah, but if, you're, but if you're not fit and firing going into the back half of the year, that's the sort of player you go for. And then, you know, maybe you can offload another star at the end of the season. Trade and, and, and the crazy beginning. For Powell Pepper. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but what if Carlton came knocking and said, Wouldn't that uh, be interesting? Hey, we need some more midfield depth. <laughs> Sos we'll, goes, oh, we'll, we'll give fling you a, a third rounder or a second rounder <laughs> after they've just fleeced him uh, in the previous off season. What about any other hypotheticals? Well, I'm a big fan of um, Braden Sire from, from the Pies, and he, he came into the side last year and was 
he was enormous. He he, yeah. he was again a bit of an unknown guy playing a lot of uh, a lot of games in the VFL. But you just can't break into that into that midfield. There's so much depth and talent um, in the Collingwood midfield. So you know, there, there's a lot of clubs that would love a, a nice um, young inside player uh, such as Sire, but. Carlton's the one I, I really think they should be going after. Obviously, they're not in a in a premiership window by any stretch of the imagination, and won't be for a few years. But why not get him earlier than than wait? Yep. You know, I, I'd have no issue with Carlton giving up a second or a third round pick in order to get him. He's well, got exposed form. He, he he was fantastic late into the finals last year. He was terrific. He's and, got exposed and, form. And it would be a great addition to the Blues midfield, and could really help chop out uh, Cripps in the middle, who's really just doing 90% of the grunt work um, inside. Mm-hmm. Christian, do you have one for us? Yeah, so um, well, we've already spoken about Bryce Gibbs. I reckon Josh Jenkins still has a lot of value. Um, probably one of, probably can see him at two clubs. Melbourne, again, they're not contending. I, I think he'd be an okay fit. They're, they're crying out for a key forward, and I think Josh, uh, Jenkins is good enough there. But Brisbane, I really see him being an interesting pick to go play next to uh, Hipwood up there. Again, they've sort of tried McInerney, Stefan Martin, playing these guys up forward. They, they do need another tall sort of marking forward, and I'm probably yeah. I'm I'm still a fan of Jenkins. The beauty yeah. of the beauty of him of a potential move to Brisbane for him is he'd be playing a similar role to that at Adelaide, where he's not the key forward, the number one target, but he'd be playing that sort of third tall role, uh, which he's clearly very good at because his his form over the last few years has been really good. Yeah, until this year, I think the last five years he's kicked 46 goals, 45, 62, 46, and 40, which is just outstanding. So. Um, yeah, it wouldn't be a wouldn't be a, a bad option for a club that wants to play finals like Brisbane. Uh, would like to know what the AFLPA has to say on the matter because I don't think an AFL trade period in the mid season would get up. But uh, alas, be good for hey, us fans. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> I'd be I'd be all about it. Uh, before we do move on to our next segment, uh, there was a bit of chatter about wildcard weekends again. Uh, a lot of finals talk about how potentially introducing um, a wildcard week whereby. The sixth, seventh, sorry, the seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth best teams play off for the last two spots in the finals. Uh, it would mean that there are ten teams playing off in a final series, which is well over half the competition. Is this something that the AFL should be exploring? I don't think so. I, I mean, I'm certainly not the the format you've just described. I, I don't mind a, a wild card round in theory, but I don't like the fact that seventh could potentially, you know, would potentially play tenth. And could be knocked out. You know, it's not easy to finish in the top seven. And if you finish seventh and you you hit a team that's tenth, who just has hit a nice patch of form towards the end of the season, if you look back at the last five or six years and you look at the team that finished seventh and the team that finished tenth, you'd probably say it was a it was a very close fifty fifty game if they were playing. What about the Bombers? This is great because last year the Bombers came home with a really wet sail, and had they made finals, they potentially could have the done. Thing. Some they damage. were they were I think they had the third best record in the second half of the year or something like that. And if they had to play. Who finished seventh last year? Off the top of my head, I can't remember. But it's like you wouldn't be happy if you had to play them. But isn't that does that not add to the theatre? It and, does. And you, yeah. you see the TV and you go far out. The team. But where does it tenth. end? I mean, you, you've got to have a. You got the top eight for a reason. You can't. Where does it end? It's like oh, okay, the fourteenth will play second for a, a yeah. shot. You know, it's, so that's, it's that's getting that's, out of hand. That's my issue with the wild card round. I think finals are great as it is. Um, with the wild card round, it's it's what happens the next week. So we had an example last year in the TAC Cup, uh, which is now called the NAB League. They, I think they went a bit too far. They had 12 teams in the competition, sort of had a 10, so all the way up until the 10th team got to play in the wild card rounds. But what we, saw, yeah. what we saw was in the, the next week in the follow-on, they didn't sort of re-rank the winners. So in the second week of finals, Dandy, who finished number one, played the ninth best team. 
Whereas Gippsland, who finished second, played Geelong Falcons, who were actually the 10th best team. So second mm. ended up playing a team lower on the ladder than first just because of the way results went in the wild card. I feel like the second week is where it gets important. You need to re-rank the teams to keep the top team getting you know, the most favoritism, you know, they, they deserve the right to play the lowest ranked team. I think you're 100% right. I think the, whether or not it ever gets introduced, I think the structure and the, the format has to be really important. I'm not sure if I'm for wildcard um, weekend, but I don't mind the idea of looking at the season as a whole of ex- extending the final series somehow. And that way you might be able to shorten the actual home and away season to make it 17 rounds. So you, you play, every team plays one, uh, one rival each. Or maybe an eighteen-round season where you get, you know, the local derbies and, and whatnot. So you get a shorter home and away, a longer finals campaign, and maybe make the the preseason competition mean something as well. So you're still getting the same length of season, if you like, as fans, but it's a fairer home and away season, and then a, maybe a more exciting final season. How about stat with Champion Data? Hey, off the top, we uh, did foreshadow a new seg- a new sub segment, we could say. Uh, who am I? Uh, and, and Christian, you, you had a few questions. Can you just remind us again about those uh, those little questions that you had before we answer the question, who am I, or who are we in this case? Yep, yep. So uh, the team's conceding the most disposals, most uncontested possessions, most marks, kicks and handballs of any team. They rank 17th for disposal differential and uncontested possession differential. And they concede, you know, 37 minutes time in possession to their opposition. Only Carlton and Melbourne concede more ball to their opposition. Um, yeah, so who am I? I guess Port Adelaide with no certainty, no conviction. <laughs> I've had a think, and I'm I'm thinking maybe Brisbane. Good when they've got the ball, but then they can give it up in patches, maybe. I think it has to be Geelong or Collingwood. I'm going to say Geelong. <laughs> yep, so I think you've picked all the teams around them except for the <laughs> correct one. So it's the uh, it's Richmond, not Richmond. not the Richmond. Sorry, the Tigers. <laughs> it's it's Richmond. So they um there you go. You notice this for a few weeks now. They're they're conceding a lot of ball, right. a lot of easy ball too to the opposition, but they're fourth on the ladder. And only getting better, in my opinion. So great. Yeah. this is one of those um, funny things. You can look at what we call, you know, these are these are main indicator KPIs. These kicks, marks, handballs are very easy to see and digest. But you know, very dangerous just to look at them in isolation and try to get anything from it. It's the it's the game style that Richmond plays that's holding them in good stead and you know going to hold them for uh, going forward. And it's that whole talk of they've, they've been losing players with injury, but that structure and the way they play is stacked up. And I think it's these basic numbers that have gone to the next level to sort of look at. So there's only four teams that have had fewer disposals than their opposition, but more metres gained across the season. Uh, Richmond being one of those four. So Essendon are sort of, you know, 16 fewer disposals than their opposition this year, 605 more metres. St Kilda's in the positive for metres gained. They've had 143 fewer disposals. Frio's had 158 fewer disposals than their opposition. Richmond are down at 370 fewer disposals than their opposition, but still gaining more metres per game. So, so is that a, a lot of run, carry, and then long Correct, kick? yep. So direct ball movement. Um, we talked about a few weeks ago the knock-on, so keeping the ball moving forward. So again, just breaking it down even further, Richmond gained 16.3 metres per disposal, which is second, and their retention rate, so holding on to possession of the ball, is the best of the top 11 for metres gained per disposal. So they're what we call, they're sort of playing... Um, High risk football, and it's coming and it's paying off. They're maintaining possession of the ball while you know attacking the team. Uh, sorry to jump in, but it, it seems like that's why they um, they played so well against the Bombers in that wet weather scrap because they just the moved waves, the ball. The the waves the they, they're just moving it forward, and and even when they're not playing in the wet, they're probably the most dangerous team when they're when they're streaming forward. Still, we talk about Collingwood and Geelong and all these teams, but they 
do look really dangerous. Martin when when the other week when he was up and running, just streaking forward, kicking goals. Yeah. I mean, you're and right. this is a side that's still missing a, a whole Three, host of, best, of yeah. players. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's them with the ball, which we just discussed. So again, looking at how much disposal they're conceding, obviously from the clues before, they're conceding more disposal than any other team, but they only allow fourteen point seven meters per disposal of the opposition, which is the fewest um, of any team. So again, they moving the ball. Fast ball movement, you know, high risk, and making teams be able to just chip around and, you know, play with it in the back half. So that's the other one is in the back half. So they actually only concede 30 not or 40% of their opposition disposal are in the forward half of the ground. Again, that's the equal's lowest percentage of any side. So, yes, conceding a lot of disposals, but just keeping it in the back half. So their pressure still stacks up, their, their trademark pressure. Correct. And also their, their structure ahead of the footy that, you know, Dylan Grimes is slotted in perfectly for Rance, Asprey, and things like that. You, you can't just sort of kick to a one-on-one contest for Richmond. They're probably going to make it a two-on-one very quickly. You know what? I, I, I wonder about this a lot. Everyone's talked about Richmond's pressure for the last three years, really. Why pressure is such a effort, you know, There's thing. no skill in it. There's pressure. no skill yeah. in it. Anyone can put pressure on. Why are they so far above everybody else? And why yeah. are the clubs that are down the bottom in terms of pressure? So they, they're not even... If you look at what we measure pressure as with pressure factor, they're not high in pressure factor. So they're not... A big number pressure team crash and bash. It's it's where they're putting it on. It's how and how you know the smart way to put pressure on. So it's very similar. Again, going back a few years, Hawthorne were getting dominating contested possessions, but they were, what they were doing is they were allowing the guys to swarm the opposition to swarm the ball and just creating a little ring around them. Mm-hmm. So you can sort of think of you know back when they were going. Um, I think they were you you know up there with Geelong, Salwood, Dangerfield going in and fighting the ball. They got a handball to Duncan, but Duncan's got three Hawthorne players mm. standing right next to it and getting it sort of back off from that way. Um, and Richmond's very much similar. It's not so much run straight at the ball carrier. It's one guy run at the ball carrier, one guy run at the next one, one guy stand down, you know, Grimes, yeah. and Grimes and Rance are very important to how they're pressuring the ball carrier because they, they, make, they take away that option further down the field. So it's, again, it, a lot of it's to do with effort, but their structure... It just stacks up every week, no matter who they lose. You, you, know, you know what you're going to get from it. And that's the most impressive part of it, really, is you can take anyone out and they still do it week in, week out. Yeah, it's a fascinating insight into not so much the talent, but the, the coaching and the game style and the structure that, that holds up so well. So if I'm trying to visualise it, sorry to, to harp on this for a little bit longer, um, but so you're talking about, because they have a lower pressure uh, rating, yep. that so, would be instead of tackling more, they'd probably have fewer tackles, yep. but they'd have more players corralling, which is further away, which is a lower pressure rating factor. Brilliant. So um, the pressure factor might only be 150, or I'm throwing out a number yep. there, no. compared to a good team's 180. Yep. Um, but their players are, like you said before, more smartly positioned to then have more pressure at another point. And they're yep. forcing their opposition to turn the ball over by doing that. Correct. And that's the other, you know, they're getting 66% of their scores are coming from opposition turnovers, which is the highest percentage in the comp. So they're waiting for you to turn mm. the ball over, give it back to them. They'll take it down and score. Fascinating. I think mm. we'll have to bring Who Am I back next week. Yes. Uh, I fan. like that. That's good. <laughs> um, hey, one of the weirdest stats flying around on Twitter at the moment uh, involves Essendon small forward Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody. Uh, so we thought we'd look into, and so the stat is great, and I'll let you introduce it, Christian, but we thought we'd look into each team's best barometer player. Can you please explain to everyone listening at home how Anthony McDonald, Tipping Woody is Essendon's barometer? Um, well... Going by the numbers, he's not. But I'll start with why we are talking about McDonald, Tip and Woody. Um, so he's kicked 16 goals in their four wins this year and a grand total of zero in their six so losses. So that's the stat that's flying around, that if, if he's on, they win, 
and if he doesn't get a kick, they they lose. Is that not the definition of barometer? Correct. So, but there's a twist. There's a guy. There's a twist. You've thrown me under the bus here. I'm, I'm scrambling. Yeah. So, um, I, I want to call him just Orazio, but I'll I'll, I'll go with Fantasia. Uh, so Orazio Fantasia has actually got a bigger differential in wins and losses between his player rating points are how we measure. So, in wins this year, Fantasia's averaged seven or oh, eighteen disposals, two point seven goals, seventy three percent scoring accuracy, scoring those goals at, and two point three tackles. I've thrown tackles in there. I'll explain in a minute. In losses, he's dropped down to 11 disposals, so seven fewer. 1.3 goals, so that drops in half. An accuracy of 33%, so going from, you know, three and four down to one in three. But the same amount of tackles. So, again, this is one of those tricky questions. Who's the barometer of your side? When I looked at the top 30 for biggest differential between wins and losses, I think 20 of them are forwards. It, it's limited supply, so it's causation versus correlation. Are these guys the reason their teams are losing, or are these guys not playing well because their teams are losing? To me, with so many forwards on the list, I think it's the the latter. The 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 forwards just don't get as much opportunity in losing teams. Um, so Fantasia is actually the biggest differential in the comp. McDonald's Sip and Woody second. Then next to are Jamie Cripps, who is another small forward for uh, West Coast, and Walters as a mid forward for Frio. They have the biggest differential in wins and losses. So the one that sort of comes up the highest for me in the midfielders is actually uh, Dion Prestia for Richmond. Um, so he in wins, 26 disposals, 12 contested possessions, 9 ground ball gets and 4 intercepts. In losses, that drops down 24 disposals. So his disposals don't drop down too much, but 7.3 contested possessions, 5.5 ground balls and 1.7 intercepts. So again, they half. Yeah, right. He, again, probably a surprise to me in terms of when comparing all midfielders, he's got the biggest differential in wins and losses. So again, it still says to me a little bit, you, you want to try and stop Prestia's influence on Richmond games, but again, we've just covered Richmond. They're probably too good. If you just stop Prestia, someone else is going to step it's up It's interesting. Anyway. I wonder if Richmond fans would actually, that watch, you know, week in, week out, would, would notice that. Mm. You know, something. I wonder if it's something that would actually be noticed by Richmond. We yeah. talked about uh, a few weeks back the general forward and their influence on the game. If you look at some of these names, I mean, Fantasia's maybe a small forward, but Jamie Cripps, uh, Walters, uh, Sam Gray, like... Dustin Martin, when he when he pushes forward, the, there's a theme sort of developing. You're right when you talk about forwards being uh, the the causation and correlation. Yeah. Um, if they're not getting the supply, I guess they can't kick the goals or they can't influence the game. Yeah, correct. And then you think of the other way: two or three goals from your small forward. Usually, there seems to be team listing, team lifting. Sorry, and one of the guys I've highlighted is Sam Gray. I look at him at Port Adelaide. You can almost watch Port Adelaide and judge how they're going to go on Sam Gray. By my opinion, he is he's almost. Um, he brings life to the team when he's up and about and some of the goals and tackles he's kicking, you can sort of see the rest of the players up up and about around him. Um, and he again, he comes in about, you know, in the top 20 of this list. So there is a big differential between wins and losses for well, him. Well, I'm just looking at his stats. I mean, 25 and a half touches, uh, disposals, as opposed to 15 in a loss, 18 uncontested as opposed to 10 in a loss, 2.3 goals in wins as opposed to one goal. I mean, that's that's pretty stark. And yeah. you're right, when, when, if he's on, the power is generally on. See, this is interesting because I, d- I personally didn't notice Prestia but I've noticed Gray. I've, uh, there's been times where Port's playing poorly and you'll see him in the third quarter and you're like, I didn't even realise he was playing. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Like, yeah, so that, that's interesting, yeah. Hey, uh, we do have to move on. We are running short of time, as seems to be the norm these days, gentlemen. Uh, we need to get a bit uh, better at keeping things tight. Uh, but it is time to move on to my favourite segment. I've had a gutful. Jake, you came into our pre-podcast meeting. We mentioned this a lot too, our pre-podcast meeting, with a couple of ideas about what you'd had a gutful of, uh, what have you decided to go with this week? Well, it's been a good week in footy, actually. There's nothing that's really stood out and um, and disappointed me too much. But then last night, we, we sort of heard about Dale Thomas um, and potentially 
drinking on a Friday night before he was playing on Sunday. Now, I don't have any issue with players drinking within reason or doing anything, really, you know, so long as it's legal and as long as it's not stupid. But, you know, when you're playing for Carlton, so much pressure this week. I think the third most senior player that played, um, or second most maybe, that played uh, the, the most recent game, this is just not good enough. Um, you, you expect a whole lot better. Um, and as I said, if you want to drink, drink at home when no one can see you. Have a couple of wines, have a couple of beers on a Friday night. No one's ever going to know. No, one, It's not going to affect you on Sunday. But when you're out drinking at a function on a Friday night, that is such a bad look. And, you, and, and you can understand why people have sort of seen that and thought, gee, does this guy actually care? You've got to be smarter than that. Very much like the Stephen May incident about four or five weeks ago. You've got to be smart. If you're a professional athlete and you know that there's cameras everywhere these days, you've got to be smarter than you know doing that in public. I'm sure if Stephen May or, or Daisy were having a few beers behind closed doors, as you said, there wouldn't be much outcry. I'm sure that there'd probably be a, a understanding that, that, that they can do that because they're grown men and they're adults and it's not illegal. But the fact that they're doing it out in public is just so silly. If you're on six or 700 grand a year, you've got to be smart 24-7. Pay me six or seven hundred grand a year, and I won't drink from February through October. Happily, yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, but this is the thing, and it's like I'd love to know how many players drink throughout the year at home. It would be there would be more more of them doing it than than not doing it. I, I mean, it's so. there's no issue in it. If you have your if you have a beer or two beers or a couple of wines on a Friday night, it's not going to affect you on Sunday. If you're getting hammered on a Friday night, yeah, it's going to affect you on Sunday probably. But I, I think I don't think Daisy was getting smashed I, I, I think don't that's know. Still I don't, I don't yeah. know but but from from what you hear he's a larrikin and likes to have fun so a couple of photos have surfaced where people might think oh he's had a few but he's he's just that sort of fella but two yeah. days two or 36 hours before a game well, would your worry me nine. a little bit yeah but again you, you just go back to the you know the point it's it's just not a smart thing to do from one of the club's most senior players mm. and especially in this situation where you know you've got your coach basically fighting for his for his coaching life yep. mm. and you've got uh, yeah one of your, your senior players doing that it's it's a really poor look what's the buzzword in footy these days it's bad optics bad so optics. Uh, I think Daisy just have a drink at home next time mate yep. uh, let's move on and the three votes goes to uh, I'm going to give the three votes this week to the wider footy public because I think over the last few years uh, especially maybe in the last six months even there's been a dramatic shift uh, in the attitude towards concussion in the AFL and I think we're at a point now where we respect it for the beast that it is you just have to look at Paddy McCartan's interview with Triple M on the weekend where he was brutally honest and raw about the struggles that he was going through with concussion and how he can't really go to the supermarket without being overwhelmed by the people and the lights and, and that's just a shocking thing for anyone to have to go to. I think a few years ago, people might have uh, might have said, geez, what a waste of a number one pick and harden up and, and all this sort of stuff. But to know that the wider footy public, for the most part of what I've read, uh, is behind Paddy and, and his struggles and encouraging him to basically call call his career and, and focus on his health, I think is, is extremely admirable. I don't know what you guys think about that. I, I would say, listening to that interview, I thought it was great. It was one of the probably one of the best things I've heard all year, if not in a long time, in terms of, you know, a sports interview. Um, to me, yeah, listening to it, he could almost become the most important number one pick in history if this is the type of message he can deliver. Across. I, listening to that, it was so brutally honest. It was coming from the heart, someone that genuinely loves footy. Again, it, sh- it shouldn't matter, but it's not coming from a rookie-listed player or someone who's 
cracked into the system and you know not known about it. it's it's the number one pick that came with all this pressure on his shoulders look what's happened to him I, I think listening to him do this, I know he wants to be a footballer and hopefully he gets back on the field and becomes a star that he is. But if he doesn't get on there, the work that he's doing in this space could be really, really big for the future of football. Yeah, it's really good to see players' health and well-being you know, now being a top priority because I think in previous years, not, not necessarily in recent years, but I think if you look back to, to previous decades, it probably wasn't. Whereas now everyone's identifying the fact that, hang on a minute, a footballer's career is 10, 15 years and they've still got 50 years of their life after that where they need to make sure that they're in in perfect health. Yeah, I think I think the dynamics have changed in the industry where even as recently as a couple of years ago, concussion was such, such an almost invisible injury. It's not like you've got a hamstring and you can't run or you've done your knee and you, you've got you know pics of you in surgery. No one knows what's happening because it's, it's, there's just nothing to be seen. But People are now starting to respect and understand how how horribly impactful this, this disease or this this the concussions can be. So I reckon, uh, yeah, a few years ago, I think you're right. I think whenever um, people saw that someone was out with concussion, they'd be like, "Oh, come Get on, back just, on, just play!" Yeah. Like, you know, what are you doing? But these days, people see concussion and they go, "Oh, great, he'll be out for two to three weeks. Hopefully, he'll be back and, and healthy and, and ready to go." Mm. Um, cool. Footytips.com.au is where you can tip against your friends, uh, family, co-workers whoever you like. Uh, I know that I'm having a mediocre season after a fast start. I don't know how you guys have been going recently. but You're uh, like the Sainers, aren't you? I'm a bit like the Sainers. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a bit like out of the blocks. I'm a bit like Carlton, I think. <laughs> <laughs> You've had one good week and that, maybe yeah, that's it. That's about it. <laughs> hey, Neil, have you got any quirky footy tip stats for us this yeah, week? Yeah, I do. Just quickly, um, we wanted to uh, delve into the tipsters that were performing best. So we actually have dived into the tips of the um, for this round coming up. Of the top 1,000 tippers across the whole um, database of 650-odd thousand people. So it looks like a bit of a lopsided round. There's uh, 99% going for Richmond over North and similarly for Collingwood against Frio and the Giants against Gold Coast. There's a lot of lopsided games. The three that caught my eye, which I thought looked a little bit little bit more interesting, was Brisbane against Hawthorne. So I would have assumed that was pretty close to being 50-50. Maybe I'm a bad tipper. I certainly am this year. But we've got 88% of the top 1,000 tipsters have gone for Brisbane over Hawthorne. Well, they did beat them twice last year. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, um, But Hawthorne, I mean, they're a little bit hot and cold, but they, they seem like there's still a chance to play finals. Adelaide versus Melbourne. Now, this is getting played up in the Northern Territory. Adelaide, 71% versus Melbourne, 28%. Maybe Fair indication. I fair think. indication, yeah. And the other one's Port Adelaide. This is the, the Shanghai game. Port Adelaide uh, against St Kilda. We've got uh, 72% going for the power and, and 27% going for St Kilda. Well, it's Only 72%. Lock them in. You reckon lock in Port? That is a fortress up there. <laughs> Don't worry about the fortress <laughs> being a, uh, Adelaide Oval. It is Jung Wing Stadium. They haven't lost there, have they? They have not. Well, they haven't played great teams there. No, they haven't. Great team. But, um, yeah, interesting. That's how the, the top 1,000 tippers are leaning. Um, and, yeah, we shall see. We shall see. Hey, and if footy tipping isn't going your way, or you're missing the cricket, of course, the Cricket World Cup starts uh, next week. Well, this week. This even. week. Yeah, it's a on of uh, days. Thursday night, I think yeah. it is. Uh, make sure you head over to ESPN Cricket Info to play the Crick Picks game. It's a new fun tipping game just for the World Cup. The best Aussie tipper will win a trip to two for London for the fifth Ashes Test against England this year. Not a bad prize, that one, Jake. Yeah, I'd take that. Hey, <laughs> I would too. Um, can we enter it, Neil? Do you I know? don't. I think uh, staff are not allowed to enter it, unfortunately. But well, that sucks. Uh, Christian, make sure you get your <laughs> yeah, name I'm, on. I'm not a ESPN staff member. Um, make sure you do subscribe to us and rate us five stars. We uh, we do keep track of everything, so it's been good to <laughs> speak to you again. We have run out of time, so uh, we're going to wrap it up there, and we'll speak to you in the next one. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast.